Hey, what's up everybody? It's cold, wet in Houston, but Santa's already made a delivery in the form of Michael Brantley. What's next for the Astros? We'll talk about it next on episode three of Stone Cold Strohs. We can't wait to see what's next for this team. Welcome to Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined, as always, by SportsMap.com editor Josh Jordan, senior contributor Charlie Polillo. Guys, welcome them in. You can catch them. I need to, need to add their tags in. At JoshJordan975 on uh, Twitter. At Polillo for Charlie Polillo on Twitter. Guys, welcome in. Sure glad we resisted doing this outside. Yes, yes. We thought we were going to do our first one outdoors. I don't know about you guys. I'm really excited to talk about a, an old familiar face rejoining the team, add a little bit of I think, stability to the team. Josh, while we're waiting for everybody in our audience to join in, can you give us some housekeeping? Let's do it, guys. As of today, we are an Apple, Audio Boom, Google, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. Did I miss anything there? Just search for Stone Cold Strohs. You will find us. If we're not on the preferred platform you like, drop us a comment. We'll see what we can do about that. And once you found us, please, guys, hit, uh, hit subscribe. Please like the videos on YouTube. That really helps us with the algorithm. Early reviews have been good, so uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it going. Literally thousands of other podcasts that you guys could be consuming. So we thank you for listening to ours. And for those streaming along with this live, be sure to comment in the chat. If you want to drop Charlie a question, any of us a question, go for it. Uh, that's something we like to do during the show, guys. We'll answer those near the end of the podcast. So, all right, let's get going. Good deal. Thank you, Josh. And I guess some other bit of housekeeping, too, is we will not have a show next week uh, for the holidays. And then the following week, I think we're going to do a Tuesday. We haven't uh, firmed that up yet, but I think that's the schedule right now. No show next week. Show Tuesday and the following week of the week of New Year. So, uh, again, I echo what Josh says. Just want to thank everybody for uh, for choosing Stone Cold Strohs. Guys, uh, we have some really great great news. Uncle Mike's back. One year, $12 million plus some incentive. I feel somewhat conflicted a little bit. On the one hand, it's always happy to have Brantley back. He is a stabilizing force. It remains to be seen at what level he's going to play. I see a lot of people have him penciled in. You know, there's a question about where does he play? Where where does he hit in this lineup? Jeremy Pena, he made a season last season of hitting in that two hole. And on the back of that position and some clutch hitting, was able to capture ALCS MVP and World Series MVP. A lot of reason is because he had he was protected by Jordan Alvarez behind him. He knew he was going to get some pitches to hit. Now, we know that when Brantley's healthy, that's typically the spot we see Uncle Mike hit in. So I don't know. I'm personally in favor of seeing Jeremy Pena stay in the two-hole. I know Dusty Baker last season lobbied to make sure that Jeremy Pena stayed in the two-hole. That's my personal preference. We'll see how Dusty handles it. If Brantley, who's a very steady hitter, if he's hitting down in the bottom of the order, is that is that the worst thing in the world? Well, we could uh, look at it in part as a platoon of where guys hit in the lineup. Now, I don't think Brantley is going to be a 145-game player, even if he's totally healthy, the shoulder's ship-shape. He turns 36 in May. He is a professional hitter. His power has flickered, like my camera seems to be. It's a good thing I'm hearing more from my voice than my face. Um, but you know, Brantley 370 on base percentage last year, never lower than 362 on base percentage in his four seasons with the Astros. 
You want traffic as much as you can get when you get to Jordan in the three spot, Bregman in the four spot, Tucker in the five spot, Abreu in the six spot. So the most important thing for the guys at the top of the lineup is to get on base. Uh, a lot of variables with this. Right? Brantley's on base percentage was 370 and about 250 plate appearances, whatever it was before his season ended. Jeremy Pena, 299, which is not good. That's not high in the lineup stuff. Ah, but you break it down. He finished with a flourish. So if that's the platform, obviously he's not going to be a full-time player the way he was in the, the LCS in the World Series. But let's say he graduates to a 330 on base percentage guy, which isn't great for a one or two hitter, but it plays with Pena's power, which Brantley does not have much anymore. Uh, Dusty, as you noted, uh, he was wedded and it was part of the click. Uh, you're probably a short timer dynamic that keep Pena in the two. Damn the analytics and the on base percentage. We're like 93 and eight when the guy's batting in the two hole. I'm keeping him in the two hole. Uh, I do think there's an old school element. You'd also like to have speed at the top of the lineup. Michael Brantley at this stage of his career basically doesn't have any. Whereas Pena, one of the fastest guys that they have. Uh, how do you weigh with no more ships? Altuve gets on first base, first baseman holding him. You can't jam up the right side for Michael Brantley. A lot of space for him to pull a ball through yeah. the hole. Jeremy Pena, like most hitters, more a pull hitter than an opposite field hitter. So that's one for Brantley to take advantage of Altuve's on first. Um, I would think Brantley projects to play 30, 40 games in the outfield, another 50, 60 games maybe as the designated hitter. And Brantley's had some ebb and flow, but generally speaking, he's not great against left-handed pitching. And of course, he's not a center field option. So I'm good with bringing back Brantley just the one year and 12 million was the, the ballpark. I threw a dart at the board on a, a sports map column a few weeks ago, but you don't have that left-handed hitting compliment to Chaz McCormick in center field, unless you're willing to put Brantley in right field some, right? This is non-throwing shoulder, the one that's messed up. But if Brantley can play some right field still when Jordan is the left, does that open up? Well, select games. Kyle Tucker can play some center field if you want to sit McCormick against some of the, the tougher right-handed pitching. Uh, so I think Brantley is here as just another competent bat. Knock on wood, health willing. And let's throw in professional hitter. Hey, you want a pinch hit for Maldonado? Seventh inning, sixth inning, fifth inning as a game situation uh, dictates. Right, the Astros bench, as most benches are, pretty thin. Right, You're looking at David Hensley, maybe Jake Myers, maybe Maurice Dubon. Well, if you have Michael Brantley, you have a choice A uh, coming off the bench any game he's not in the starting lineup. Well, I'll throw my hat in the ring. I want Pena in the two spot. I I was a big before Dusty even did it last year on a lot of sports map videos. I, I wanted him there. When Dusty kept putting Yuli out there and kind of defending why he was using Yuli in that spot, which it was working, but... Yuli was just kind of slapping some balls through the infield where with Pena, you brought it up, Charlie. He's got power. He can go up there and hunt fastballs with Jordan behind him. If he wants to hunt some, you know, hanging sliders, he did plenty of that too since, you know, that's the book on him is throw him the off speed. But you can't throw him all ones in the dirt. He kind of figured that out and stopped swinging at those. So you have to throw him over the plate, and he crushed it. I, I'm not messing with it. You know, I put Michael Brantley near the bottom. Just kind of keep the thing going, keep getting hits, keep getting guys on base. I'm just I'm not messing with Pena in that spot. And the other thing is speed too, Charlie, which you brought up. I want to see somebody that can really run at the top of that lineup. I've seen some people saying like, hey, why don't you put Brantley in the three spot, you know, and leave Pena at two and then move Yord on to four and then everybody goes, you know, yeah, down you don't a step push in the down lineup. Your best hitters. 
yeah, yeah. I don't like it because you're getting less at bats for your best hitter. So, you know, of course, Twitter, you're going to hear all kinds of opinions on what they should do. <laughs> I think they just leave it the way it is. Put Brantley down at the bottom. I think that's a good spot for him. And, and we'll see how it goes. The, the thing that concerned me is I pulled up his splits. You know, remember, he was really struggling against left-handed pitching two years yeah. ago. So in 2021 against left-handed pitching, he hit 219 with a 575 OPS. You know, awful really compared to, you know, the 363 with a 924 OPS. I mean, a completely different hitter facing lefties and righties. But he remedied that a little bit last year, whereas he actually hit 10 points higher batting average wise against left-handed pitching. The OPS was still better at, at 810 against righties. So I'm curious to see if if that was just a blip for Michael Brantley that one year, or if, if, if that's something that, that's going to come back and haunt the Astros this season. If he was center field capable, which he's not, I mean, he's never been a center fielder, certainly not at this phase of his career. You're going to ask him to place him out there, but offensively he'd be a hand in glove compliment to Chaz McCormick who destroyed left-handed pitching. Does Chaz still have some growth? You know, he's 27 years old already, so he's not a young phenom. And just one other thought on Pena in the two hole, I think Jeremy Pena would be emotionally devastated. And why are you kicking me to the lineup curb after what I did in the postseason if you went Brantley 2 and Pena 7? But look, the future of the Astros, obviously Jeremy Pena is much more integral to it. His growth opportunity in the two-hole, I would want to find out more about that and give him a chance to continue to evolve than just default to Michael Brantley. You know, there's this expression – or sports saying, cliche, that you don't lose your job because of injury. Baloney. Uh, go all the way back to Wally Pip, Lou Gehrig. Guy has a headache, never gets his job back 15 years later. Um, Brantley batting seventh, maybe a little reminiscent of, for my money, the best offense, at least relative to the league they were in, the 2017 Astros of this six-year dynastic era, the World Series winning team in 17. That was the best offense. Josh Reddick, left-handed hitting outfielder, routinely hit seventh in that lineup. Josh Reddick's career year, the link you had in that lineup with also Brian McCann down at the bottom. So Brantley in that seven spot. Also is another guy who gets on base at a high frequency. If he's down there at the bottom, that can help you turn over that batting order. Even if you're going to have McCormick or Endor Maldonado making outs to end an inning, if you get through them that you're turning over to Altuve more quickly from the end of the order, that's another positive. So uh, I would give Pena every opportunity in that two-hole. And, you know, again, with the rules changes, you know, the bases are going to be a little bit bigger. It's going to be a little bit easier to steal bases. Shorter distance than 90 feet by three, four inches, and baseball is a game of inches. Uh, pickoff throws. Right? You can only make two on a runner and a given hitter. Otherwise, the third one is a balk unless you pick them off. I think it's just going to be a free-for-all and a, a stolen base fest everywhere. Uh, but if speed kills, it's going to have a little more opportunity to kill. That plays into Jeremy Pena's hand. Uh, top of the lineup as well. Hedge that, though. If Altuve makes an out, Pena gets on first base. I don't know how often you want to tell Jeremy Pena, uh, try to steal a base, risk getting thrown out while Jordan Alvarez is at the plate. Let Jordan have that right side to hit at when there's only one other infielder on that right side. It's going to jack up Jordan's average this year. I think – where he hits is probably going to be fluid during the season because we know Dusty likes to play around with those those lineups. And so there's probably going to be some experimentation, which maybe he is down lower in the Pena is lower in the lineup or Brantley's lower in the lineup. So there may be some movement just to kind of see how guys react to certain situations. I would be surprised if it doesn't settle into Pena hitting in the two hole, just because again, it really does 
optimize his performance, allows him to be protected by Jordan behind him, gives him more quality pitches to see. Brantley doesn't need that protection. He's just a good quality hitter with a good eye. And how many situations did we get into last year where guys were on base, there was a little bit of a rally, and then it got to Yuli. And I don't want, this is not to pick on Yuli, but it just was the reality of what his regular season was last year, where you had guys on base, there was a little bit of a rally going on, and then Yuli came up. And you just didn't get, or or like Mauricio Dubon came up, like the the bottom of the lineup would come up, and you just it would it would be a rally killer. I think it'd be such a luxury, even if he's hitting well, to have a quality, consistent hitter at the bottom of your lineup to help, you know, turn it around and get back into the top of the order, and then you know get Altuve back on. So I think that's I think that's a a, a good option to have down there. And if you're a team that is as deep as the Astros are, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for luxury items and that's a good one to have speaking of luxuries it's luxuries to not have to pay overpay for a good quality hitter we talked about and kind of speculated what his contract would be he ends up with 12 uh it's one year 12 million he's afford more in incentives i believe Mm -hmm. so 16 in total it would if he hits all of his incentives then it matches what he's been getting previously which was 16 a year I don't know about you guys. I think that's a pretty good deal, just considering the way the market has seemingly adjusted now. Well, the the outfield names that had been bandied about with the Astros in recent weeks, Brandon Nimmo, who would have been a spectacular fit, leadoff hitter, speed guy, high on base guy, or if you wanted to slot him two behind Altuve, that's fine too. Uh, but terrific on base guy, platoon with McCormick. But eight years, $162 million. I don't know what his second best offer was, but Daddy Warbucks with the Mets just said, all right, let's just trump it by far and, and stay here. Uh, Andrew Benintendi, five years, $75 million. Sounds like it's on the cheap, uh, given what yeah. the, the market did, at least at the, the top end this offseason. So the White Sox add him. If Brantley's healthy, uh, Benintendi's a better age play. as a guy who's 29, 30, as opposed to 35, turning 36. But... He's really no better an offensive player than Brantley, maybe a little more power uh, in Chicago, south side of Chicago, better uh, hitters park than Kansas City where he was last year, but not as good as Fenway where he had his opportunities to, to start his career. Uh, Michael Conforto hasn't found work yet. Uh, I was never big on him. He didn't play at all last year and wasn't very good when he did in 2021. So the, the short-term play on Brantley, and if it turns out the shoulder gives out or Father Time just catches up with him, one year, $12 million, it's a very minimal sunk cost if you, if you have to move on. And if he thrives, it works out well for both parties, you could revisit a similar scenario for 2024. Yeah, that, that's that's got to be what Crane's thinking, right? It's let, Let's just try and run this back one more time with Brantley. All the guys love him on the team. The risk is low as far as long-term. Like you said, that if it doesn't work out, you move on next year and you grab somebody else. Quickly on the, the lineup thing that just kind of occurred to me, we know how Dusty likes to go righty-lefty back and forth. So Brantley behind a Bray, you might make some sense just for, for that purpose right there, uh, just going righty-lefty. But we'll see. I don't know. Dusty also, he's a big, I love my veterans kind of guy. So he just, he might give it to Brantley for that purpose. But no, I love the deal. Benintendi was the one I kind of was really interested in. When I saw they got him for 15 mil per year, that sounded reasonable to me. That's about what you're paying Brantley. It's just you're on the hook for so many more years if, if it goes sideways. And we know the Astros, they don't like the five and six year deals, you know, unless you're Jordan Alvarez or somebody like that. So 
great move for the Astros. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Are they, is Yuli going to be somebody they look at next? Uh, and how many guys is it too many to run it back with? If it's in a utility role, I wouldn't mind seeing Yuli sign back up. Well, as you as you flesh out the the roster, right, we have a feel for what the the lineup is going to be. A tweak here, a tweak there. Who bats where? But we know one through nine what they'll probably be running out March 31st against the White Sox to start the season. Uh, on the bench, you're going to have a backup catcher or a complimentary catcher or a catcher starter in waiting, however they uh, go there. Um, Aledmus Diaz out. David Hensley seems to be odds-on for that role. That leaves you two spots. If you're carrying 13 pitchers, which was the Astros' norm over the run of the regular season, and you only have four guys on your bench – your backup catcher, Hensley, is your primary backup infielder. Jake Myers and Mauricio Dubon, unless you're going to bring back Yuli for one of those spots, or maybe there's a, another center field capable player who's just better than Dubon, certainly offensively. Uh, but it's possible the, the Astros have the composition of their roster to start 2023. And if that's the case, that's just fine. Um, it's good to be greedy. Right. Gordon Gecko was right, at least in terms of stacking up talent on a on a baseball team. So, ooh, the Astros could add one more name value player. But what they have is certainly a, a way above average offense that you're not thinking, ooh, against this team or that team that they're grossly inferior from Toronto to the Yankees or anyone else you'd want to put in a conversation. So last week, right as we were finishing the podcast, the Christian Vasquez news uh, hit. So I, for the people who were listening on the audio podcast, we were able to put a little blurb in front of that. We haven't talked about it here yet. I think it was a very reasonable contract. I think he chose not to go here, uh, not to come back to Houston because I think a playing time, I think Maldi's still going to have a stranglehold on a lot of the, uh, the opportunities to catch here because just because it was built in relationship with the uh, pitchers here and uh, and they have an affinity towards Maldi. So I liked that contract. Um, the Astros have been in the market for catcher, though, seemingly since the winter meetings. And we know that they were at least in talks or they had a conversation uh, with Contreras because Dusty confirmed that. We don't know how much of the other conversations were real or how much uh, how substantive they were because it's hard to know there's so many agents that are feeding information to the media to say, you know, the Astros are inquiring about this person or they have conversations with this. You just don't even know how much is just them calling John going, how much. John <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and on, on a, on a side note, I, I felt better. The fact that John Heyman until the very last moment didn't connect Brantley to the Astros because he's been wrong every time so far with everyone he's connected to the Astros, but that's neither here nor there. So Michael Schwab says that uh, the Astros are connected to Tucker Barnhart and they've been connected to seemingly every free agent or tradable catcher so far this postseason or off season, I should say. And we've talked about a little bit here. What does that mean? I've said their interest in catcher, I think says something about where they feel their uh, prospects, either Diaz or Lee are at in, in their readiness to take the helm. But I've kind of come full circle on it. I've almost, I almost wondered now if there's a preservation of trade bait with, with one or both of these guys, you know, we know James Click said last season 
when they traded for Vasquez, they said this was the ultimate insurance policy for for Maldi, just in case Maldi got hurt. Well, little did we know Maldi was actually hurt. He was playing with that broken hand, but they said it was the ultimate insurance policy. So it makes sense to bring in a veteran if you think that maybe one or uh, one of these guys, one of your prospects are going to be pieces of, of, of trade bait uh, during the seasons for some sort of mid-season move. So I'll throw it to you guys. W- what do you guys think? How much do they want Maldonado to play in 2023? He made 110 starts, which is a pretty significant workload in this era for all but the elite starting catchers. Uh, to me, that's too much. Right? He's 36 turning 37. He's an offensive millstone, career high in home runs aside. But he doesn't project to improve much at this stage of his career uh, unless the, the hernia was really impacting his his offense. And I think Maldonado's overall offensive career suggests it does not. Let some youth be served. Now, Yiner Diaz or Corey Lee, you don't want them on the major league roster making a start and a half per week where you're getting seven, eight plate appearances as opposed to full-time run in the minors. But at some point, you know, you need to throw them in the water and see if they're going to sink or swim. Diaz is 24. Uh, Lee may have turned 24 already. Yonder Diaz has destroyed minor league pitching, each rung on the ladder. Split last season between double-A Corpus and triple-A Sugarland. He's never had, uh, other than uh, his first few at-bats in, in rookie ball. But four straight seasons now in the minors, he's had an OPS of at least 865 or 870. I'm not saying that will carry over directly to the major leagues, but he has real pedigree. He's relatively young to catching. He didn't become a full-time catcher until maybe 2019. Um, so maybe there are some rough edges and you're worrying if defending the running game takes on increased importance. Uh, but you know, he's earned the opportunity to get some run. Corey Lee was their first-round draft choice. Hit with power at Sugarland. Didn't hit for much average. Doesn't walk a lot. Strikes out by the boatload. Uh, but defensively, huge arm. Better than Maldonado. Moves better behind the plate than Maldonado, who led the American League in pass balls uh, last season. Um, you know, the plan should be, since you, you didn't swing big on Contreras, fine with that. Didn't have the prospect capital or willingness to put in the best that you had to trade for Sean Murphy. Okay with that. Well, 2024, your starting catcher is Yonder Diaz or Corey Lee, unless they both flame as prospects or... Martin starts chugging from the fountain of youth and really couldn't hit when he was young. Um, so the trade consideration that you're talking about, Brandon, uh, I like the concept behind that. Uh, Tucker Barnhart should excite nobody. He is a left-handed <laughs> hitter. So is Jason Castro. You know, they didn't play yeah. them as a platoon. And if you can't hit righties, you can't hit lefties. What's the value in a platoon? But he is a good receiver. He's won a couple of gold gloves, a la Maldonado. But Tucker Barnhart was actually worse offensively in 2022 than was Martin Maldonado. But with a collection of pitchers, a couple of guys who are still young, I don't think Christian Javier needs to be wet-nursed. Or Luis Garcia, or or Keedy's not young, he's 28, needs to be wet-nursed. Framber Valdez needs to be wet-nursed. So if you have an inexperienced major league catcher handling him for half his starts, so what? Um, The guy who intrigues me is Diaz because he has just – slaughtered the baseball each rung on the ladder rookie ball a ball double a triple a well what's next maybe he turns out to be one of those guys who's what they call a 4a hitter 
yeah, he crushes it in the minors, mm -hmm. but then when it comes to the majors, it just doesn't work. Uh, I would really like to find out. He's also a guy who can play a little bit of first base. Days you want a designated hit, Jose Abreu some, probably 36 years old. Don't want him playing the field 150 games at this stage of his career. So I understand the thinking, and they're trying to thread the needle a little bit of win now. So Barnhart is a savvy, quality receiver, compliment to Maldonado. Um, but I would want Martin really starting no more than half the games. And, you know, you don't want to put it all on what happens in spring training, but let Diaz and Lee have kind of a, a catch-off to see who makes the squad. Right? The Astros rarely carry three receivers in the, in the regular season. But the guy I would really like to find out about is, is Yiner Diaz. Because I'm not suggesting if you just let him play, well, you have the next Mike Piazza of hitting catchers in your lineup. But the last real good Astros hitting catcher was uh, basically nobody. Alan Ashby had a couple nice years once he found his stroke. Um, on the other hand, though, right, the signature of the 2022 Astros World Series champions was their pitching. Someone has to make a few outs. So Maldonado, whoever else is catching, if they're batting ninth, okay. If you're getting poor production out of a position where not all that many major league teams get quality offensive production. So it's not a make this call or else. Uh, I like to see really good prospects pushed and challenged. That is not rushing them. Certainly not when they're 24 years old, right? Jeremy Pena was a 24-year-old rookie. Um, but I would want to go Diaz or Lee. Neither guy, because they're not super young, uh, has this incredible trade value that I would be saying, oh, I need to hold on to, so I have my trade chip as one, and then the other is my Astros catcher of the future. That said, I'm not going to be holding my nose and screaming if they, they go with Tucker Barno. I'm with Charlie. I want to see Diaz. You know, I'm looking at Baseball America right here, the Astros' current prospects. They have him at the top right behind Hunter Brown, and I think we all expect him to to be on the big league roster this year. And then another thought of maybe why they didn't give that long-term deal to an outfielder, the top prospects the Astros do have are outfielders, Drew Gilbert, Jacob Melton, Pedro Leon. So if they're thinking they have an outfielder coming up here in the next year or two, it's probably why they didn't want to commit a, a five-year deal to one of these free agent outfielders. If they think those are their best prospects and they play outfield, well, there you go. If Brantley doesn't work out, maybe maybe by next year, Pedro Leon's ready to go or one of these other guys. So that makes sense to me. But yeah, take a shot with Diaz, man. He's got some pop. See what happens. I, I'm tired of all these backups on other teams. There's no upside there. Give give somebody else a shot. If, if Diaz doesn't work out, you still got Lee. He's a good defensive catcher, and he's just going to accidentally, I think, hit better in Maldonado. So that's the route I would go. The reality is the Astros were able to fade Maldi's bat last season. They won you know, uh, the second most games in their team's history and finished with a chip. And if we're being honest... Maldi was very serviceable in the postseason and came up with some big clutch hits, if not big clutch hit by pitches. And the, who has a nine hole hitter who's a good offensive yeah. player? That's why you're a nine yeah, hole hitter. So if you're contributing exactly. in other areas, and obviously uh, Maldi does that in spades, but I don't think it should give you a Supreme Court justice status that you have the job until you retire or die. No, but it, but clearly you asked you know, when you first started talking, you said, how much do they really plan on playing Maldi? 
apparently enough to scare off Christian Vasquez because this was never a real option for him. I don't know if you saw the story where the twins had offered him the deal and before he accepted, he called back to Boston to see, hey, this is what they're offering you guys in on it. And Boston said, no, we're good and let him walk. On a side note, if anyone's feeling FOMO right now about anything you feel like you're missing out on for the Astros, whew, look at Boston and you'll feel much, much better. But the point is, Christian Vasquez didn't call back the Astros and say, here's what the offer is from Minnesota. He called Boston because he felt like Boston was the more realistic opportunity. So the fact was, is that was a very reasonable contract and he knew he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time here. And that just didn't, he, he didn't want to do that. So I, I find that troubling a little bit only because I just really like Christian Vasquez. I feel like he's a guy who the moment's never too big for him. He's never trying to do too much at the plate. He does exactly what the team needs him. He's not afraid to be patient, hit a ball the other way, super disciplined hitter, especially in those big moments. We've seen him now have critical hits in two playoff runs in the 2018 run with Boston and in the 2022 run with the Astros. He just always seems to be in the, the right position at the right time and takes the right approach at the right at bat. There's something to be said for that. All the things that we're talking about with Diaz, and I'm the same way. I'm I'm really excited about uh, what Jainer brings to the table because we haven't really seen it. I think he played, and I'm going to pull this number out of my rear, but I think he played, he got three or four pitch hits last uh, season. And I think the first two or three, he just was swinging out of his heels at basically everything and would not take a pitch. And then Dusty sat him for, I think, two weeks or something like that. And then in the last week of the season, one of the final couple of games, he got a pitch in opportunity, belts one into the gap for a double. So clearly the guy's... Like you said, if he's not a 4A player, if he's not a, a Jason Lane or a Jose Siri of as a more contemporary reference, if he's not a 4A player and, it, and really is a, uh, a a major league hitter, then they really have something there. But to your other point, it really depends on how much they prioritize defense. And I don't know how his you know defense is going to translate to the big league level because like you said, it's not something he's been doing the entire time. Yeah, it would be obviously a notable trade down defensively. And we're talking about Diaz here. Right? For those in the, yes. in the Vasquez camp, there's no meaningful data that, that suggested Maldonado was a much better receiver uh, than was Vasquez. And, you know, you look at the Astros pitching stats in the postseason when Vasquez was behind the plate, something like 32 consecutive scoreless innings, throwing out base runners. Neither was very good, frankly, in terms of percentage. But, uh, you know, hey, it could be much, 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 much worse. You could be a Twins fan saying, all right, we have that former Astro locked up for three years. <laughs> and it's Christian Vasquez, not Carlos Correa. So as the Astros try to still max out the presence of this era, but also with an eye to the future. And again, we're not talking about young phenom level, 19, 20 years old, where, OK, let the stew simmer a little bit. You can play a full year at AAA if you wanted to do that. Nah, get him up. Um I'm an OJT guy, put him in the lineup, see if he can hit. But if you're going to carry him, you should be starting three games per week. Uh, pretty much a, a job split for, for my taste. And that would likely go for Corey Lee as well. But Corey Lee, I think, has rougher edges offensively. Diaz, I'm pretty confident, would be a, a plus offensive player um, as a catcher from the jump. There's only way, one way to find out. 
what do we think about you talked about a little earlier charlie michael brantley we've heard bagwell talk about he'd like to see jordan in left field 45 to 50 percent of the time and jordan started 42 percent of his games in left field so that's not like some big leap in in playing time uh i'll go with 58 percent. i hope jordan plays plays more (laughs) especially if it's he or brantley out there at this point jordan's the better defender huge arm I mean, let's go to Minimate Park. From the warning track, he can throw guys out. Um, you know, load management, we associate more in, in the NBA than, than Major League Baseball. But Jordan, I mean, he's such a big guy that long-term, you'll always be mindful of weight-bearing those knees given the, the multiple surgeries. Um, but, you know, it's not like Bagwell's suggesting an undue workload for Jordan to play half the games in left field. I'd be a, a little bit more ambitious than, than that myself. And it seems like Dusty was, you know, yeah. Dusty and Baggy kind of had some different numbers in their mind. I, I think Dusty saw him in left field a little bit more. I'm curious to see, you know, how that how that takes place. I, I guess now we just kind of have to wait with Brantley. You know, I, I think we were told, you know, March, we'd have a better idea where he's at with that shoulder. Clearly, the Astros and the medical staff crane felt pretty good about it or you're not giving him this much money with that much risk attached. And I brought this up on the podcast last time. I'd be a little, you know, a little hesitant with shoulder injuries after I saw what happened to Jake Myers. And and Brandon brought up a good point too. Some of that might be confidence, not just the shoulder with him coming back. It'll be interesting to see. I I hope Brantley's good to go. I, I want him in the lineup pretty much every day, whether it's DH or left field, as long as he's healthy and, you know, performing at a decent level. One other thing with Brantley, you know, the, the contract is pending passing the physical. We'll presume we'll get there, but that's a, a not playability passing the physical. There's no rush. Without Michael Brantley, if, if they'd signed one of us as, as the extra outfielder type, they're still going to be good. They were third in the American League in, in runs scored last year with Brantley not playing half a season. So if he needs extended spring training, where you take it slow and turns out he's not capable of really playing until May or June, that's all right. Once he's capable of playing, he's at least a reasonable facsimile of the Michael Brantley we've seen around here over the last four years and change. Yeah. And it's I, I, kind of a McCullers thing. <laughs> We're not yeah. seeing it till that late in the season. Yeah. Again, if you need perspective on this contract, I'd much rather pay what you paid for Brantley versus what Cody Bellinger got with the Cubs. You know, you talked about one of us playing the outfield. I mean, the the batting average is pretty comparable, I think, to one of us playing the outfield. We do need to move on to one of the other notable free agents that uh, was on the move last week, and that's Carlos Rodon, who ended up landing with New York. A lot of talk uh, around the interwebs and on Twitter and on the Yes Network comparing the two lineups or the two rotations because, I mean, it makes sense because the Astros have been on top in the AL for six years and that's that's the the benchmark that you have to aim for they believe they're one step closer to reaching that benchmark with carlos rodon so they have now have a rotation of garrett cole rodon nestor cortez luis severino frankie montas so a lot of people in new york speculating that that rotation is pretty close if not good enough to battle toe-to-toe with the astros Obviously, the Astros rotation takes a big hit, losing the reigning Cy Young winner. Astros are still very deep in the starting rotation. Where do you guys see the Yankees now stacking up against the Astros? Look, it's comparable. But you go man for man, 
it is comparable, but the ellipsis dot, dot, dot is gigantic. The age factor, youth overwhelmingly favors the Astros. I mean, Garrett Cole's good, a horse. He's been spectacularly durable. He's also turning 32 years old, and his ERA has been over three since joining the Yankees. Fromber was 248 last season. Javier was better than that. Cortez was an all-star. Color me a little bit. Do it again or something in the same realm. Severino never stays healthy. Frankie Montas, arm question. He was a disaster after he joined the Yankees in the trade. So in theory, if everything tumbles into place for the Yankees, yeah, that is a loaded rotation. But they have age and health question marks. And Carlos Rodon doubles down on those. Not the 30s agent by any stretch. But, you know, the last two seasons, he's been great. ERA, sub three, better than that. Struck out 237 batters, I think it was this past season, in about 160 innings. But over the last two seasons, he's thrown 310 innings, give or take combined. Biggest workload he's ever shouldered in back-to-back years. The two years prior to the last two years, he threw a total of 42 or so innings. 2020 was a short year. Well, he threw seven innings. The year before that, his arm fell off. He threw 34 innings. So six years, 182 mil, that's 27 million per. Six years with Rodon's health, the Yankees kind of had no choice. They had, after keeping Judge, and we touched upon this specifically, they make their team better. That just maintained, if they were looking to, to close the gap on, on the Astros, and especially for October baseball, uh, Rodon's pitched like an ace for two years now. But will he answer the bell in October? And how often will he answer the bell over the six months getting to October? And those six months over six years, maybe the Yankees are thinking, geez, if we can get three, four healthy years, uh, it's sunk cost on the back end where the Yankees will just go buy the next best pitcher uh, on the board. Um, so, you know, they, they were rebuffed as Verlander went across town to the Mets. They go twice as long for less than one more season's worth of of money. Um, so it's, it's all about the health, but as a, a general rule, younger in their prime players are, are better bets on the health front. And that is, that is clearly advantage Astros with of course the exception of McCullers. Yeah. For me, I read a piece in the New York post that Hal Steinbrenner met with Aaron judge before he signed and judge had some demands, if you will, that if he was going to come back to New York, he wanted to see them make some moves. I think the Yankees might see part of what they're paying Rodon is what they didn't have to pay to get Aaron Judge back because we know Aaron Judge got some offers of more than the Yankees offered him, but he came back, and I think he wanted them to use some of that money on pitching, which they did. I I found that interesting. I hadn't heard that. I I think I read that in the New York Post this morning, so that makes sense to me. A lot of times when guys, maybe you don't have to pay me top of the market, but use that money to improve the baseball team. And clearly they needed pitching if they want to get past Houston. So, you know, that's the avenue they elected to go down. We shall see. I'm with you, Charlie. It's a lot of injuries with those Yankee guys. They've missed a lot of time over their career outside of Cole. So uh, a lot of unknown there. They're older as well, like you mentioned. Uh, I'd side with the Astros guys because at the top, I think they're better too. With I'd take Fromber over Garrett Cole. I think Cole's ERA was like three and a half this year. Fromber to me looks like a more dominant pitcher. And Cole gave up the most home runs in the American League last year. That's not great. So I'm going to side with my Astros. If we were having a one-year draft, 
strictly for 2023 and the 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 pitcher pool is is Astros and Yankees. I think Fromber would go one actually to a majority of teams. Cole would still draw a lot of support. Radon would draw some, but can he be healthy for a third straight season as a major leaguer? Never done it before. Uh, and then of course Javier hasn't done it as a full season guy in a rotation. He just happened to be unbelievable once he was was in that rotation. Uh, but no one, uh, never say no one. But Domingo Herman, another name we didn't mention. Uh, Frankie Montas off the way his second half of 2022 went. Uh, Luis Severino off his last three, four years. No one's taken any of those guys over, I don't think, Garcia, uh, who went great. You know, he's a high threes ERA, but durable and still has the upside of being a, a mid-20s guy. Um, and then, you know, it's a big if, and, and I would not make book on Lance McCullers throwing 180 innings, but what if he gives you 150? Well, then no one's taking Severino over McCullers. No one's taking Herman or Montas over McCullers. And then, oh, yeah, what if Hunter Brown is going to be, let's say, Justin Verlander, very, very, very junior. Uh, just a good rookie starter. The Yankees at this point really have no material starting pitching prospects. Now, after Hunter Brown, it's very thin for the Astros at this point. Well, the Astros have a bunch of guys in their mid-20s in their rotation now. So they're not forced to spend $40 million per year or $30 million per year on a starting pitcher, or they have these huge, huge Swiss cheese holes in their rotation. The Yankees not in that spot now. The Yankees, of course, fortunate to have that unlimited resource uh, funding mechanism. But when you look at what Steve Cohen did across town with the Mets, I mean, once the Yankees whiffed on other guys, no way could they stop with keeping judge. So Radon's a great get for them. Dot, dot, dot if he's going to be the durable workhorse that he was for the Giants in 2022. Charlie, you said Fromber gets picked first in a in a draft, in a pool of these two pitching staffs. I find that interesting because I, I think we pay attention to this a little bit closer than I think maybe the national audience does. Cole's still a, a, a big name. I just find Fromber criminally underrated right now by the majority of the ML, MLB viewership or, and, and I know I you, think he was lost in the wake of Verlander, right? Verlander was just sure. including the Cy Young one, seven, five ERA, all that legend. Um, Fromber, a two, four, eight ERA would have been the best starter on three quarters of the, of the other major league teams, maybe 24, 25. He was better than any of the Yankee starters and Cole had a good year. Cortez had a, had a fantastic year. Uh, and, oh, by the way, Fromber, very durable. You can't be more consistent than breaking the record for consecutive quality starts, dubious definition of, of quality. Nevertheless, no one did it 26 times in a row wherever uh, Fromber finished finished off. Uh, so the, the, the spotlight will be his. I, I presume he's the Astros opening day starter when when March rolls around. Um, but I think and, and, and another he keeps the ball in the, in the ballpark. Right. I'm right. not saying Garrett Cole gives up 40 home runs, but Garrett Cole can can give it up. Fromber yeah. just pounding that hard sinker, hard sinker, hard sinker. What, he gave up like 12 home runs in the entire season. Um, so Cole gave up 30 something. Yeah, he, so, he, right. he had he had an, an elite season. You know, he was so good that if there's a little bit of regression, I don't think we have a mean yet for Fromber because he hasn't pitched enough seasons. But if Romber's ERA goes from 248 to 288 and he's throwing 180 innings again, well, that's solid number one stuff when you're backed by a good defense and a really good lineup. And 
And maybe it's Framber Valdez this year who can make a run at, at winning 20 games. Are we ready to say that the Framber that we saw last year is who Framber is? Because you mentioned it. That was a really breakout season for him. We had seen flashes of that previously. He's never put a season consistently together the way he did last year. And going into the playoffs, his postseason performance was solid. He was the ace for this team. Do we think this is who he is? And if that is the case, you talked about the advantage the Astros have in signing very team-friendly contracts. Should the Astros be looking to lock up Fromber? If, if, that, if that's who they think this is, get ahead of it. Don't let him get to free agency and maybe get him sign him to a free team-friendly deal. Uh, he's a guy that I'd... <laughs> always easy to spend $30 million per year of someone else's money. But, mm-hmm. you know, Fromber... A late arriver, a late bloomer. He's closer to 30 now than 25, I believe, meaning closer to his 28th birthday than his 27th. But if you do a five-year deal, uh, and you never know when a guy's going to break down, but but I think Fromber throws freely and easily. His mechanics are solid. Um, you know, and let's say his weight was to get out of hand or, or something like that. Uh, I think his career tra- trajectory is, is pretty solidly predictable you know unless he forgets how to sink the ball you know it's he's not a guy i mean i think some of these radar guns are juiced these days he's not a guy who's gonna certainly not consistently hit 96 97 if he loses a mile or two off his fastball i don't think it's debilitating to his game that he gets guys to chase you know boring in with that hard stuff down to to right-handed hitters um and the marketplace has gone wacko Mm-hmm. He's three years away. So again, no rush mm-hmm. if you're the Astros, but you know, if almost as a gesture of goodwill, you say, okay, we'll give you two more years at 50 million total for those two years. And there's your generations of Valdez financial security, whatever happens with your arm. Um, he's a guy, you know, if you did it with Lance McCullers and his track record of health, why would you not do it with Framber Valdez? I think the reason would be, what was it, $85 million for the total contract for McCullers? I think for Fromber, you're going to have to do something like Rodon, like $150, $160 million. Three years to 30 free million. agency, I wouldn't go that rich, if I'm the Astros. But, I mean, if he gets to free agency, it's it's going to be in that ballpark. Or Actually, it'll probably be more. If, especially if Fromber keeps pitching like he's been pitching, then he's going to be even more highly touted. That's a lot of money, a lot of years to give to a starting pitcher when you could just kind of wait three years and just keep paying kind of what you're paying until he hits free agency. It, it's tough. I'm, you know, we talked a little bit before the podcast. I think we'd like to see Fromber do it one more year, right? You know, just to, if Fromber can do it one more year, for me, it was Fromber had to do it in the postseason. And he did that this year. They won the World Series. He was a key part of that. If he has another year like this, He's proven everything he needs to prove to me. Uh, I agree. Uh, generally more injury risk with pitchers. Fromm will be a 30-year-old, getting ready to turn 31 years old as a, as a free agent three years from now. So if you go two years beyond that, you know, you're not going to his late 30s. But two years from now, is he, is he the Astros' best starting pitcher? Or is it Christian Javier? And if you, you, know, you throw down a template of, okay, we took care of, of Fromber at X, well, then is Javier X multiplied by by whatever. You know, Jordan, six years, $115 million from the Astros standpoint, seems like a song now. And if you were going to extend Kyle mm-hmm. Tucker, I think already, it would probably take more than that. Uh, it's not happening again. So, so if you were to lock in 
your presumptive number one, at least the new incumbent number one, Framber Valdez, maybe that's the pitcher that Jim Crane would say, okay, we'll go to five years because we think we're getting very favorable team terms. You're still filthy, filthy rich. No pity party that, well, the Astros screwed over Jordan. No, six years, $115 million worth of security. But I don't think the Astros would or should uh, go Rodon level for Frombert at this stage, three years from free agency. The back end of the rotation, I think, is is interesting, too, because last week on SportsMap, John and Lance were talking about uh, this topic. The question posed was, who's more important to the back end of the rotation that they uh, kind of step up? Is it going to be Luis Garcia or uh, Lance McCullers? Because both of those are kind of in, in critical spots. Garcia can be a very meaningful inning eater for you. Lance McCullers has the health questions. And so the question is, who's more important out of those two guys to step up? And I, I guess I'll, we're at the 50-minute mark, so let me allow that to be our uh, bottom line question of, of this episode. Over 162 games put me down in the Garcia column. Um, it's about heft. It's uh, about workload. You know, the guy who's going to make 27, 28, 30 starts as opposed to someone who, I mean, if you were offered 20 starts from Lance McCullers, but he's healthy the last day of the regular season, I, you'd probably take that. Um, you know, in October, Lance has that ability to dominate. Well, he's been very up and down, frankly, in the postseason. If you're only as good as your last start, yeesh. Um, whereas I don't think Luis Garcia has that electric level stuff. Now, maybe there's a door still that he can walk through and, and march on to a higher level. Uh, but regular season, I'm Garcia because to me, he's the, the obviously uh, better choice to, to give you back end of the rotation innings of pretty good quality and certainly quantity, which funnels into bullpen use and all that over six months time. Yeah, that's where I came out on it, too. I, I thought it was Garcia. Who knows what he could turn into? You know, he can get the ball up to 97. He's a big guy. It can be an easy mid-90s for him. Nasty breaking stuff. I, I think it'll only get better. And, and coming in that Seattle game and pitching that many innings and just that was impressive to me. I, mean, I, I love Lance McCullers. Great player. I think we got a good deal with him. It's just, you know, it's always the health with Lance. And we also posed the question, do you – do you tr still trust Lance, you know, after, you know, a rough postseason and, you know, giving up record home runs and the pitch tipping and all that stuff? I'm not too worried. I, I think they'll figure that out by the season rolls around. I think Garcia is is more important just because there's there seems to be more upside there. McCullers is who McCullers is, and it's been he's been consistently inconsistent over his career. When he's on, he's lights out. And when he's not, game three of the World Series happens. Now we want to take some questions from the audience. So uh, guys, if you're in the chat and you want to ask some questions, this is the time to do it. I'm going to start with Alberts, who posed this question. What do you think about the Astros going after Profar? Well, I would think off the season he had with the Padres, he could find better playing time opportunity than here. Guess you could shoehorn him into center field, but I think of him as more a corner outfielder. Once upon a time, a super duper star prospect with the Texas Rangers never panned out. He's bounced around. Look, if you're willing to spend the money, and I'll take Jerickson Profar over uh, Mauricio Dubon, um, Jake Myers, I'll say I'm cautiously pessimistic. And, and Profar would give you that positional versatility that, you know, you can stick him, maybe not shortstop at this point, but 
uh, if you if you needed him in a pinch to play a little first base, second base, you know what uh, those who would want Yuli back for Profar could give you, and then probably a, a little bit more because he's an infielder, yeah. outfielder. And Profar is a Scott Boris client. In my opinion, we've seen a lot of Scott Boris clients tied to the Astros. You know, I wonder how legitimate that report is. Well, especially as we talked about the Astros name being used, and we we know Scott Boris is a fan of using the Astros name. We saw how the Korea thing played out, and then in, we now know what the reality was with the Korea talks. Uh, Ray says, uh, this is my question, what happens if – two pitchers go down, who do we have to replace them just in case? And I think you hit on a little bit of that, uh, which was Hunter Brown. I think he's going to be one of your guys that can slide in either in a six-man rotation or can be an injury replacement in a five-man rotation. Who do you who do you see them tapping to round out the lineup in, in the case of catastrophic yeah, injuries? Yeah, that, that's where the, the loss of Verlander carries a little bit of uh-oh because – I mean, you can't count on Forrest Whitley. If he goes to spring and impresses and stays healthy and gets off to a good start in Sugarland, uh, I guess he'd be that proverbial next man up because the Astros are fairly thin in terms of major league ready starting pitchers. I don't think there is uh, another candidate. Um, is there a wild card that maybe you start trying to stretch out a guy like Seth Martinez and see if he could take to a starter's role where uh, you know, if it's a it's a temp or fill in guy before you go explore the trade market, you know that you're asking, give me four innings and then the depth of our bullpen. You know, it's not quite a bullpen game, but that, you know, get us to the fourth, fifth inning and we can work our way through that, especially if you're bulwark starters, starting with Fromber, regularly getting you into the, the sixth and, and seventh inning. So, yeah, that's a that's a, a little bit of a warning flare with Verlander gone, who was pretty much money to give you at least six uh, every time out. Um, but you know, if your problem is who's your seventh best starting pitcher, you're in, you're in generally good shape relative to your peers. Yeah. I'd be like, it's still around. He could be a guy that can give you four or five innings in a jam. Yeah. And I think your bullpen game is the most logical answer there. And it would be, I think a combination of either Martinez or Belak or one of those guys who can be innings eaters for you but yeah you're right that's i mean that is a legitimate concern but if if they go down two starters well then they have legitimate worries anyway Name so, a team and hopefully, yeah. yeah exactly no that's exactly right well guys um that's going to be it for this week's episode of stone cold stros we appreciate everybody tuning in and interacting and commenting along again next week no episode week after i think we're going to push back to tuesday so uh, we'll firm that up. If you're listening to us on one of your preferred audio platforms, uh, give us a five-star rating and a positive review, should you feel inclined. Guys, thank you so much. Josh, Charlie, thanks a lot for joining me this week. We'll talk to you next week. Go Strohs. Happy holidays.